Welcome to the Changing Construction as We Know It podcast brought to you by Mail Manager, the Outlook add-in developed by Arup to help companies get control of their email. This podcast is designed to provide you with exclusive access to some of the biggest and best names in construction, talking about how they address the challenges they face on a day-to-day basis. Slight change for episode three, and it's just going to be myself, Jacob Aldrop from Mail Manager. Uh, my colleague Chris has got a day off, but I'm delighted to be joined by Rob Charlton, CEO of Space Group, to discuss the hot topic in the industry at the moment, which is digital twins. Hi, Rob. Hi. Um, so the topic for today is the digital twin, and we're going to talk about some of the problems uh, it, it solves and the business case uh, around it, really. Um, Rob, it'd probably be a good place to start is an introduction to you uh, and Space Group, because it'll explain why you're relevant to this um, to this conversation. Yeah, um, we've been around for over 60 years, and I always, I always say we're a 60-year-old startup. Um, started off as an architectural business, and, and what that's allowed us to do is understand some of the challenges in the industry. Um, and, and we digitised the architectural business about 20 years ago, and then what came out of that was a a series of, of opportunities or areas that we could see um, needed some um, some support. So we set up BIM Technologies, which is a technology consultancy, um, supporting clients in, in digitizing their workflows and improving their outcomes. And then we realized a lot of designers and specifiers needed um, uh, information, sort of models from manufacturers. So we set up BIM Store. Um, and then now, sort of, that was probably all around uh, 2010, 2011. Um, what we found now is that we've, the industry's matured with a lot of that sort of stuff um, around the BIM world. And the next question is around in operation. And that's where we're focusing a lot of our attention around digital twins um, and platforms that can help clients in the operational phase. Okay. Um, so great summary of, of Space Group. Rob, fa- thanks very much. One of the, um, before we get into the digital twin, we discussed off air uh, some sort of takeaway advice for people, particularly in kind of BIM management roles who are potentially struggling struggling to get clients to see the real value in BIM, which are, I'm convinced there's still some people in, in that position. Um, what advice would you give to, um, to those guys? It's, it, it's quite an interesting one. We've been around looking at this area for 20 years um, and, and my view now on people that, that need advice um, on, on that sort of thing, it, for me it's not where I want to spend my energy so I probably wouldn't necessarily be giving advice if you haven't already seen the value of it, maybe you're not going to be and there's a whole thing around the adoption curve and there's a there's a, a bell curve where you've got the, the late majority and laggards and I think some people are around there and I, for us as a business that focus on innovation we're really interested in um, looking at how we can continually improve rather than educate others um, so our focus is more on um, being an innovator and an early adopter rather than trying to encourage those um, trailing behind them I'm sure there are plenty of other people can help um, those individuals over the years ahead Okay, but if it was your business, you'd focus your efforts on um, those who are who are seeing value rather than those who aren't. Yeah, absolutely. They're the clients that we're looking for. We're looking for clients that are um, happy to invest, can see the value. Um, and it's not that we um, necessarily have any issue against the laggards. It's just the stuff at the front end and the innovation stuff is what we enjoy. Um, and obviously, um, the things you want to do, you want to you want to do what what you feel makes a difference and that you enjoy doing day to day. So that's, for us as a business, that's where we like to focus. Okay, good advice. Um, so if we, 
we'll go through the digital twin and the gold, golden, golden thread uh, in terms of, in terms of, as I mentioned, the problems it solves, concerns people might have, and hopefully people come away from this w with a more informed understanding of kind of how and why they should implement it into their business. Um, if we start, I suppose, with the why the concept of a digital twin has come about, I think that would be, I'd be interested in your take on that. Yeah, there's a lot of debate around um, what a digital twin is, and we often do get um, uh, very excited in, in our sector about uh, definitions of things. Um, and there are many definitions of the digital twin. And a, 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 for me, quite simply, a digital twin is a, a physical rep, a, a digital representation of the physical at, at a simplest level. Um, interestingly, a couple of weeks ago, um, Atkins brought out a, a paper that looked at a whole range of different definitions and, and whilst you know often you don't need definitions it's really useful to have something which goes from zero to five from memory about what the maturity of each individual digital twin is it, I guess it helps those that um, get uh, excited by that type of thing um, so that that's that's what a digital twin is it it it's something that's evolved over the last few years it's been used in lots of other industries for many years um, and and one of the the earliest digital twins that people um, talk about is the, the Apollo 13 um, issue where um, at NASA the um, there was a, a version of the landing craft where they worked with it to help um, the guys on Apollo 13 come back into um, come back down to earth by testing it in a um, another version of the the real thing, um, so that's probably the, the early principles. And then we've we've moved into you know, aerospace has a lot of digital twins where they're tracking the performance of engines and, and and things while they're flying. And then more recently, actually, a lot of our cars that we all have um, basically are tracking what we're doing, testing out our um, uh, our tires, our driving, how our cars need to be maintained. So it's been happening for a lot of time, and and and. As we've gone through the BIM process over the last 10, 15 years, it's put industry, the construction industry, in a place where it can get the value from that because now we've got the digital versions of, of buildings. And I think a lot of the people we've been working with over the years have realised there's a lot of value there that they're not getting the best out of um, and have started to um, see, the, see the benefit of potentially the digital twin. Um, and then one of the things which has taken it to the next level is um, but unfortunately, things like Grenfell have identified some of the um, the flaws in our sector. Um, and Judith Hackett came out with her report and talked about the golden thread and it very much being digital around taking information forward. Um, and I think that's really made people realise the, the opportunity um, to, to resolve that with a lot of the BIM information that they've produced. Um, and then the Judith, Judith Hackett reports then moved into a, a government response um, to that, um, which closed on the 30th of June. And then, interestingly, um, the previous, well, the, the current government, um, uh, whatever you want to call them, um, <laughs> uh, did have it in their Queen's speech that, that that would become legislation. Um, now, whoever our new government ends up being, um, I'm sure that will be in the new Queen's speech of the new parliament in one way or the other. So I think as an industry, we're going to have some pretty new legislation um, around how our buildings comply and the suggestion is that's digitally. And then I think also digital twins um, give us a really interesting insight into how our buildings are using carbon. Um, and I think those two things, using the digital twin, will really help us in the years ahead. Okay, so 
carbon footprint and com compliance and safety of buildings being pretty kind of uh, the, the two whys in this in, 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 in this area. Um, now, for companies who are who are I suppose new to this or have just kind of read some read some things and know a little bit about it, and I you know I, I certainly put myself in, in that category. Um, what problems do you think a digital twin can solve for? Um, businesses in, in 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 construction who you know who are working on projects uh, at, at the moment. Yeah, I think um, wasn't it Peter Druger who said um, uh, what what cannot what cannot be measured can't be managed. And I think in our industry um, we're very good at um, building things and and doing the do. But sometimes we don't review what we've done. A lot of the things we've done in performance aren't necessarily objective. We don't measure a great deal once we've finished a project. We get onto the next one. And then actually we don't sometimes look back on the predictions we made on energy performance and, and whether or not we got it right. Um, I think the idea of a digital twin um, to be able to monitor real time um, the information that's coming out of a building and continuously improve um, and the amount of data that's accessible and all these very clever data scientists sit around, I think it's got to really help us um, improve building performance, which ultimately leads on to carbon reduction, which is a, a huge issue across society now and increasingly with um, the growing number of millennials and, and soon Generation Z, it's a, it's a big issue, carbon um, and, and environmental issues. And I think by being able to measure it, we can certainly address those sort of things. So I think it's got a huge part to play there um, uh, in the years ahead. And in your view, do you think clients of the future are going to start demanding and really needing to know the sort of total total cost of, of, of an asset? Because uh, Chris and I were discussing how I think historically the construction industry has talked about a project life cycle rather than rather than an asset life cycle. What would be your view? Yeah, I think that's it's a really good point. I think at the moment we know, um, if you say a simple level, if a radiator is hot or cold, well, that's kind of we've got that. We, we can do that relatively straightforward. Um, what we're not necessarily, and I think the really interesting challenge, and I, it's something we'll be struggling with over the years ahead, is how do you integrate people into buildings, how they use it, and then the next really difficult bit is how that impacts on business performance. Um, and that'll be how people use a building, um, how efficiently they use it. Um, the first question is, do you even need a building? Um, is, is there a need for that? Um, do you need as much space um, that you've developed and designed how are people using that space what's impacting on them when you start to put smart cities into that and all of this data that we're grabbing um, I think has a has a huge potential in in how we use buildings not just how we deliver them and I think that you know the it's that whole thing about we spend a lot of time building buildings and focus on that but the reality is the energy use and its functionality are where um, it it has its future and, and that's the thing that maybe we don't look at enough in our industry and how our product that we develop buildings responds to that okay so you can see how clients would benefit you know enor enormously from having access to that information and i suppose really being able to answer questions of the future as well as as well as now but what about for those kind of involved in the actual you know your main contractors architects engineers who are involved in the um the the the, the kind of construction of the of, of, of the building I think what's given them is is, is helping them use data um, to improve their processes and I think the the whole digital twin thing has its greatest value in operation but what it what we need to be doing is feeding that in operation information back into the design process so we're not doing things that we've found out to be wrong and we keep doing them so for example the performance of a fan call unit 
um, that keeps failing, how does a client know that that has been happening on all of the buildings that keep churning it out? Um, or how do they know that's the most efficient fan coil unit? If they start feeding that back in, we can continuously improve. Um, if we can see how spaces are used, we can redesign them. So I think it's very much in the design stage. Um, and then also from product selection and things like that. So I think it will, that continuous loop of feedback is where we'll get the value. And I don't think at the moment it's something that in our industry we're, we're great at, um, understanding how how buildings operate, function, feed that back into the process, which a lot of other industries, they do that a lot. They're continually um, continu improving their product. Um, maybe we improve our processes, but we don't necessarily improve the product. Yeah, I, I would I'd kind of echo that. If you look at and, and I'll read the Arcadis Construction and Disputes report and um, the one from last year talks about how the construction industry doesn't doesn't tend to learn from its mistakes. The top causes for disputes are generally failing to administer contracts or subcontractors not understanding their their their, their um, ob obligations. Um, on the topic of uh, of the golden the golden thread. What I suppose, what does for a for a business starting a project who's who's kind of likes the idea of a digital twin? Maybe a client's asking them asking them about it, and they want to kind of get ahead of a curve at the start of a project. How 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 I suppose you work with businesses on this basis, but how do they go about implementing this into into their actual kind of into practice? I think it's um, this is driven by the client, and it's uh, I think. The client needs to understand, or will understand, um, the importance of that digital information, keeping it up to date, and the value they get out of it. Um, I think organisations in that supply chain that are working for that client, whether it be a designer or a constructor, um, they'll need to get on board with that process, and they need to find those processes out there um, to help the client understand, deliver their um, the challenges that they have, um, and that's you know, a client will have clear challenges and they want to buy off people that understand those and can respond to them um, and I think that's the, the advice I always you know give to people is that um, look at what your client needs and focus on the outcomes not necessarily the inputs um, understand the outcomes and the why for clients and that's one of the things for us it's, it's served us well in relation to delivering products that help our clients is that we also deliver projects in our architectural business so we um, We've come across many of the challenges. I'm a, I'm an architect by profession with a bit of grey hair, so I've, um, I've, I've experienced a lot of these things over the years. And looking for um, the solutions to some of these things that we just keep doing, and we've continually just accepted that's the way it is. Um, and I think um, emerging generations, and it's one of the things that millennials are um, known for. They do not just accept what the, the the norm is. They will challenge it, and they will look for new ways of doing things. Um, and I think that's what's made the difference. And I think that our industry now is is doing really well, is moving at such a pace, is changing, evolving. It's great to see, largely driven by a new generation that have different attitudes, um, really used to technology, just accepting it, um, different views to um, uh, culture, inclusion. Um, and I think it's a great time to be in the industry whilst unfortunately we've got some challenges from an economic point of view i think from a cultural technology what we're delivering carbon um i think is great and you know some of the challenges we've had around grenfell carillion go and bust other businesses i think the the people that are in the industry now are well placed to 
address them um, in the years ahead. So the you know we've the the, the issues of the past um, are down to different people in, a, in in an industry gone by, and I think now we've got a bunch of people that um, will want to solve those problems. Do you think this can help make construction a more kind of appealing and attractive industry for that for that generation? Because I think historically it's probably been for. Um, you know, and I can speak as well myself. It's it's been the industry for the north for the naughty kids at school. Um, but do you think the digital twin can make can I suppose link to the skill shortage? I think the industry is changing massively, and I think we are attracting some um, great intelligent people into it. Um, uh, and um, we're on that journey. I think that the challenge is um, around changing perceptions. So if you know if you have yeah. a if you okay. have a you know, a young child, would you be recommending your child to go into construction? Because you have a perception, if you think of construction, you think about it as, as bricklaying, as mm. plumbing, plastering. If you're a parent and, you, and one of your kids comes in and says, I want I want to go into construction, you're thinking, oh, do I want you out in the freezing cold? And um, not sure that's really the, the, the best way to go. But actually, the, the industry I work in, um, it's all um, VR, drones, um you know, scanning and it's a you know great sector and it's also a sector that's innovating um it's changing from a cultural point of view so i think it's a um it's about inspiring young people and um we have a an event that we run every year and it's called inspiration day yeah. and what we do is we bring school children in um and we try and show them some of the things the industry is doing digitally um one of the most interesting things is we, we use a lot of vr headsets so we have you know 50 vr headsets for the the kids to use and it really they really engage with that because they understand it and they, they can't believe that um that you would use vr headsets in construction um all the digital scanning um and it's just about changing perceptions and i'm not saying they'll all end up going into construction but they'll go away with a very different perception about what our industry is about yeah, I think that's a great thing, and we'll include details of the Inspiration Day in the in in in, in the, the show notes. Um, On to the topic of the, the golden thread of information, and I know there's some people, particularly in the kind of uh, BIM and construction uh, BIM and construction community, who I think have have always initially maybe thought of BIM as just three D modelling, but then with the golden thread, really just thinking about that purely from a kind of a model and drawing point of view rather than a more of a holistic approach to where all of their project information information is what, what would what's your uh, i suppose uh, view on on that I, th- I think it's been one step at a time um you know where we came from and we started our um digital journey um back in 2000 um the big tipping point was about 2011 when the the, the government mandate um i think we've um we understand how to make buildings, you know, how to coordinate buildings, how to put the data in. I'm not saying it's fully adopted. Um, there's a whole ad- adoption process, but we know how to do it. So there's nothing. It's just hearts and minds now. Um, so I think the idea of a digital twin ten years ago was ridiculous because we were we were nowhere near. But now, um, what a lot of people are asking for level two. But if you take the government for example, if you if you're delivering a school now, you, you've got to deliver a level two model. The issue is um, most clients have got no idea why and then they never use it. Um, and I've, I've put something out on social media about who's actually using um, a, a Kobe um, Excel file that's got Kobe information in it. And I got a handful that said they had, but there was no kind of evidence of it. 
Um, so we're doing all this stuff, and we're not really know why we're doing it. And a lot of all this um, Kobe information and fantastic models are generally going on a USB stick and going in a drawer, not necessarily being used. So I think now people are saying, actually, we've gone this far, we've made this change. Um, what if we use that as a in operation? Then we started linking more information to it. I think once you've got that framework in place, and then the day a, a, a building information modeling is just a database with some 3D information in it. Once you've built that structure and you've got a framework of data, there's absolutely no reason why you just can't add continue to add information about that life cycle, whether it be from design through construction in operation. And we'll just build more and more data on top of that so we can data mine it, we can maintain it. Um, so I think that's, yeah, that, that we've now got to a point where that's a reality. If I'd gone back five years, it was it was impossible. The, the other thing that's allowed it to happen is um, processing power, uh, the, the idea of buying um, uh, servers and processing power on the cloud, which means it's it's elastic. You can have as much as you like, um, download speeds. So it's not even just the fact that we, we've got the we want to do it. I think the technology is there now to do it, and it's cheap. So now we can put models. Um, huge models um, on the cloud and we can access them and all the data real time. Probably couldn't do that five years ago and if we could it was very expensive. So I think the technology is there now to allow us to do these things which we which we want to do. Okay. And and kinda of, I suppose based on based on your um, your experience and what and what you see, would you would you say um, adoption of a digital twin is is, is kind of in is a like um I suppose like a, an absolute an an absolute uh, must and something you need to do to not fall behind or an opportunity to get a competitive advantage um, for your for your business compared to others at, at this stage. I don't think it's an absolute must. I think it's um you know there's still it only works because all the hard work that people have put into creating accurate models of buildings. Um, and having the systems in them, and I don't think you have to do one after the other. The whole people working with digital twins might be completely different to people working in BIM. Um, it it probably will be a specialist area. You've got to link into systems. Um, you've got to be able to feed that back into the process. So I don't think I think it'll be a bunch of people who have identified the opportunity and have got clients who have the need are the ones that, that will embrace it, look at the technology, and are passionate about that continued improvement r rather than necessarily just doing the process. Um, I think it's the value it can bring, and if you're passionate about that, um, I think you can you can use that. And I don't I think you can do a bit of BIM, you can do the design, you can do the construction. There's enough space for everybody. Um, I think using models in operation is the next thing that we can get out of all of this hard work we've put into creating fantastic models and um, there's still a long way to go in design and construction. There's still a lot of headway um, that, that we need to we need to make, um, but we're well on the way. So the, it's sort of what's next. Um, I mean, what comes after this? Okay, I think kind of my own, uh, my own summary of what I'm what I'm hearing is that for for, for anyone in the industry, it's a, I suppose rather than a must-have, but a, like quite a fundamental part of delivering more efficient and safer buildings in the future and the benefits to somebody in the actual construction phase is being a, being able to continually learn and develop how they how they deliver projects I thought it'd be helpful to go through some of the concerns people have with uh, kind of in, in in this in this area and one of them is data collection both in terms of the fact that 
lots of people do it differently and there's a bit of a lack of standardization in, in that area and how so how do you think people can uh, or how would you address those um, those initial concerns i mean data is one of the big the big issues around all of this um and i mean i mean first and foremost um you you, you need to make your, your data consistent and um one of our businesses bim technologies part of its role is to um make sure that data is consistent through start to finish um you know, data police basically and, and without it's like any database if if it's not set up right and it's not managed throughout it'll be useless so that that's not a process to be underestimated and and the only reason we can do digital twins because that information is being monitored audited so, so that's the first thing about data and, and in some respects that's not a concern for people the big issue around data is is around who owns it um how you're accessing it what is it telling you um and that's a huge issue and i don't think we've really got into that yet and it's um there is big issues so how, how would you feel about um someone tracking um where you are in a building um we've had an interesting thing where we're doing some pilot work with newcastle university um, on, on one of their buildings with sensors in and th they don't have sensors in single occupancy rooms because you could potentially then someone could be watched if they're in or out and they could be monitored uh, most of our clients have big issues with cameras they, they don't like cameras at all they'll do um, uh, monitoring where people are but not necessarily who they are so so cameras very efficient way of tracking data but um, and even if you see it to clients, you know, it, it's anonymized or you can knock the faces out. It's it's scary. And there are some organizations in, in London in particular that have had some stick um, around that in some of their, their areas of development. Um, so I think that's an area that hasn't been resolved. And I think it needs a, a, a lot more work. Um, it's interesting just from my own point of view. It's something I've kind of worked at, well, found out over the last couple of weeks is that um, that your phone listens to you. Um, and I had a colleague that I was talking to and, and he came back and said, you mentioned a word, it was a manufacturer, and he said within an hour or whatever it was, he said I had adverts for that um, for that product. That terrifies me. I didn't even know that was good. That just, for me, that's probably, for me, in the, in the years gone by, I mean, data, fine, I don't mind. But now if someone's actually listening to me or something is listening to me, it kind of scares me. So I think there is a there's a massive issue around data. And it may be I'm a Generation X and it might be a thing with me and maybe Generation Zs and Millennials don't care. Um, but it is scary. And I think there's a lot of work still to be done around that. Um, and the more sophisticated it gets, the, the more scary it gets, I think. So um, the, the truth is I haven't got the answer to that, but I do know it's going to be an issue. Um, and uh, that's one of the exciting things um, in the years ahead, I think. Yeah, it could well be one of the things which um, people that don't end up having much of a choice in whether they're comfortable or not, uh, or, or, or not about it. Um, another another one which does does come up, and a question which which I see is that um, how does a company you know who's who's a couple of years into a project go about implementing a digital twins? I think I. The perception is ideally you'd obviously do it you'd uh, you'd start with that intention in mind from day one yeah i think um that as you see the best the best way again with any database set out um what you want to achieve at the end and that's again that's over the years that's not something necessarily we've been great at in our industry we, we just crack on and um we created a term called value engineering which really what value engineering means is we got it wrong in the first place and we're just kind of wasting time to get it right um, so I think setting it out in the in the beginning, setting the framework out, 
um, is, is what you you need to do. There are examples of where you can still get value out of a um, information that's been developed. So I think if you've invested in digital information, there's certainly it's got value. Um, you, you could tweak it or you could even use it. Um, so I don't think um, it's necessarily a, um, a blocker to you using it, but it might not be as perfect if you'd done it from the start. Um, so, but it's like all these things, you know, nothing's perfect. You could dive in and still get some value out of it. Okay, great. And a, a, a kind of final takeaway really is for, for people who are, who are, who are trying to, uh, I suppose, move a, move a business on or, or select projects on uh, to kind of um, advance in this, in this area and kind of could be in the very early stages. What kind of advice having kind of based on your own experience would you give to people who are, who are, who are start just starting this journey? I think like all the things, um, I would say start with the why. It's um, no matter what you do, start with the why. Why would you do this? Um, don't do it just to be clever. Um, do it for the why. And I think the big why um, on using the information through construction into operation is two areas I think are going to be hugely important in our industry of the the next few years. One's around compliance and assurance which is about how people that own and operate buildings um, can ensure they're kept safe in, in the years ahead. Um, and then also, I think, carbon and how we can actually monitor how much carbon we're using and then um, not only how much we're using, what what is the um, main area that where we're using it and then how can we minimise it. And I think without good digital information that we're recording real-time, that both of those things are a bit more challenging. So see, my, my advice is start always start with the why. Okay, I think that's really helpful, and um, thanks very much for for your time time today, Rob. Uh, for those of you who, who are listening, we'll be uh, we'll be circulating details. We'll be circulating Rob and Space Group's details after this. If you'd like to find out more about Space Group, and uh, join us next week for episode four of the Changing Construction podcast. Thanks, Rob. Thank you.